Oh, hey, babe. Um, I'm not your babe. Welcome to Not Your Babe, the podcast celebrating female empowerment, women in business, and tackling some of the issues that women face in modern day society. I'm your host, Katie Lee, a Liverpool-based artist and a celebrator of indie biz everywhere. Hi guys, we've got Bex here, who is a multimedia artist based in Kent. And we're going to be talking a little bit about how creativity has been affected during the pandemic and how it's affected her journey. So hi Bex, welcome on. Hi, thank you for having me. So we've obviously known each other quite a while now, met during studying fine art at Lancaster. So do you want to talk a bit about your journey as an artist, sort of how it's been since uni and then how it's been in the pandemic for you? Sure. Um... Okay, so <laughs> at uni I did um, like a lot of performance art mixed, again, still like multimedia, but um, incorporating performance and video and photography, sculpture, installation, loads of different things. Um, and then after I left, I think I had a little bit of like <laughs> a rebellion um in terms of i felt kind of annoyed at the fact that i had been um creating for somebody else's sort of benefit in terms of like the education system etc 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 um and so for a while after i left uni i kind of didn't abandon creativity because i don't think i can ever do that but I abandoned the idea of, of artist as a term that I would go by um, and started pursuing sort of other things like workshops, like arts-based workshops with charities or working in a gallery and things like that. Um, but as a friend pointed out to me when I had like <laughs> a bit of a panic at one stage that I didn't know what I was doing because I wanted to do something arts based after that, like uh, a couple of years down the line, um, a friend pointed out to me that I had been doing that the whole time, but that I just hadn't paid attention to it, that I'd been writing constantly, um, you know, drawing, sketching, doing whatever I could um, with myself. I just hadn't been doing it in a way where I was putting it into the world. I think that's really hit a chord to me when you've said that because I remember doing the same when I graduated because for three years, you know, if, you, if you're a creative, you're sort of a born creative. Like, I don't think you go and pursue an art degree if you're not just someone who loves creating things mm. and loves new stuff. Because why would you? <laughs> it's like, like so much work. Like, the career options aren't there, guys. If you think yeah, also, it's so much work. Like, it's so much soul work. Um, I remember doing exactly the same because for three years you are uh, first year I remember we did loads of different things like you, you it's almost like a foundation year you're trying out stuff and this, later into the degree you get you feel like you're then creating stuff that you know is going to get the marks rather than stuff that you actually want to do and I remember in final year like looking I look at some of my work from uni now and I'm like that's just so not me I can just tell that I was doing it because my tutor would have liked it yeah. or because like because that's what's going to get you the marks and I, I think I did the same after uni I was like oh I'm just not creating art anymore like I'm, I'm not doing it for someone else like this is just stupid because you just feel like you're constantly creating for someone else rather than it being for you um but yeah probably the same as you anyone externally would just think no you've carried on 
Yeah, exactly. I think in my head, I'm like, not an artist anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to do it anymore. I had like a, a middle finger up to the system in my mind, but really I was just still doing it. Um, but I think like, it's like what you say, like you're creating for somebody else to grade. Um, and I think I just disagreed slightly with that idea. Um, because also I was doing the kind of art that um, that was like, there was obviously like subcategories in the degree of like different types and styles of art. And I felt a bit like mine didn't fit into a lot of those categories. And so I felt like it was kind of preference based, um, which is I think why I had the whole like, I'm not gonna do this anymore kind of moment, um, but I was just doing it anyway, so wasn't really a moment. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really hard to put art into a box as well. Like, I think that's one of the things that I did find tricky about the degree, like saying yours is really different. Um, it didn't fit into, because if I remember rightly, they sort of had like painting and drawing, and there was like sculpture, and there was like mm. lovely performance. And if you were mixing those, you kind of didn't fit into a box. And yeah. I remember switching tutors halfway through and one of the tutors would love what I was doing, one of them would hate what I was doing. I'm like, it's so subjective with creating. I don't know how you can actually put marks on it. It was yeah. more graded sometimes on the amount of work you'd put in rather than the concept or the idea behind it. Like I find sometimes if they'd done all the groundwork, like all the sketchbook stuff, mm. you'd get higher marks. And actually yeah. when you're a real art, not that you're not a real artist but when you're an artist out in the world like I don't think I've really used a sketchbook for a long time like the, the practices they get you into doing at uni aren't stuff that I actually really use anymore in terms of I wouldn't sit and make a mood board of loads of different artists that have influenced my work I think the point is that you're or I felt like I was backing up my ability to create what I wanted to create like it was like I had to I had to like almost like a law thing. I had to like show evidence and state my argument as to why the work that I was creating was um, was valuable enough to be created, uh, which isn't how it works in the real world because you're creating things that you want to create and you don't have to prove to anyone that it's valuable. Sometimes the skills that they teach you in terms of, you know, sourcing inspiration and and studying things and things like that is really helpful actually now uh, because if I find myself in like a artist's block or a writer's block or any of those things that's what I do I go back to basics and I'll start like from the beginning what interests me research it those kinds of things now but yeah uh, being doing an art degree is weird <laughs> Yeah, when you said then it's like a law thing, it totally is. Like it's just, like I, anyone wanted to do an art degree, I loved it. And obviously every uni is different, mm -hmm. but I think it was just final year, by the time you then are in that habit of, like you say, almost feeling like you have to back up every piece of work you do. And when you've done stuff in the real world, like I've done murals and stuff for restaurants or whatever, I wouldn't go in with <laughs> like a book binder of here's all the artists that have influenced this mural this is no they just say yeah. a mural with like so much to do with pizza and then I just send them drawings and like okay cool like when you actually work in the real world if yeah. you've built the base as an artist most of the time like you built you attract the clients that just like your style and they will then just trust you to do whatever really they're not going to be like, like I need a three point 
essay of why you're going to create this mural or yeah. who's influenced this mural or da, 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 da. you just do it and, and there's definitely skills that you learn um but it is it is a str- I think it's quite a common thing after you first graduate to just want to get away from the system for a bit because it's very art's not something that naturally fits into the education system really like in no. terms of quantifying and measuring in terms of the pandemic the dreaded oh yay the pandemic (laughs) (laughs) what pandemic what do you mean yeah what year um (laughs) how have you found that has influenced your creativity because i everyone i've spoke to i think has either gone one or the other way it's either really diminished their creativity or they've found like a new spark for it so how have you found it well, oh, <laughs> I think like for me personally, I had a lot of like other adjustments to make when it came down to the pandemic, <laughs> um, which influences that obviously like context influences what you're creating anyway. So um, I went from traveling abroad to then being at home with my parents who I haven't lived with for like five years um since leaving for uni actually like I haven't lived with them so not that that's horrible but just that it was like a big adjustment to do um so I found that coming back home um to Kent which isn't an area I've wanted like I used to live in Liverpool so um it's not an area I'm used to anyway so I don't really have people here either. So like, for me, my creativity went initially, um, I was kind of like frustrated at the situation, obviously, as I think everyone was. And that spurred me to trying to focus my attention on something else um, in order to sort of keep my mind working. I needed things to be doing. Um, I'm quite usually quite a busy person, so it was kind of strange. Um, so I think initially it was really good, and I started to to realise that I had been given this gift of time, not only with like family and stuff like that, but also with myself and my creativity. Luckily, travelling alone was a good sort of starting point for that because I'd had to get used to my own company anyway. Um, but then coming back. Um, I started to create a kind of routine for myself in in the lockdownness as best I could um, of you know picking specific days to write, picking specific days to make videos like and all of those kinds of things. I was doing that routine, and um, and that was good. I was creating a lot more than I usually do. I was applying to different things, and then. Um, I had a bit of like a mental health plummet, um, which just for about two months of the lockdown stopped me creating altogether, which was really frustrating (laughs) and is something that I'm still sort of wrapping my head around, I think, because I felt like I was really in my flow and I was really in my zone and then all of a sudden I was like out of it completely and now I'm somewhere between being not in tune with it and getting back in tune with it again. Yeah, I think 
with mental health, I find there's almost like a sweet spot for creativity. Like if you're struggling with your mental health, sometimes creating can help. Mm-hmm. But if you get to the point, I mean, you don't have to talk in detail, but I've suffered a depression. And if it's depression, um, actually the creative side of your brain almost shuts down. Mm. Um, and I remember, I have the same, no, I'm not saying it's the same as yours, but I think mm. everyone has that sort of mental health plummet of like, oh my God, how long are we going to be in this for? Yeah. And I couldn't create anything because I literally, my creative side of my brain shut down. Mm. And I was like, I don't think I have another side of my brain. <laughs> that is the only bit of my brain that I have, like creating yeah. what I've done. So then trying to, find your way back to that it's so hard especially when you know you've not got your normal um surroundings like in terms of Liverpool because I I love Liverpool I think it's a really creative city I think you can find inspiration there just by walking around the city like it's such a tapestry of different people and different backgrounds and different Mm. stories um and quite a lot of cities are the same but yeah I think that's really interesting that you said for two months you couldn't create at all and it is creating sort of feel like it's like two different people in a way like yeah I think it's interesting that you say as well like your creative brain switches off um because I think that's kind of what happens to your full being when you're depressed like I so like I had a you know a personal situation which I won't go into but then I from that situation um a lot of stuff surfaced which made me go quite darkly into depression uh, again which you know I deal with on and off anyway um I also deal with like anxiety etc um all the time so it's it's sort of something that I'm used to but it still takes the wind from under you and if you are a creative person your creative brain like you say is the brain that you have um so it I think your brain just switches off anyway when you're depressed. And so you just kind of are like a little, I don't know, like a little floating thing that's just in the world. And like, for me, it was really hard to um, bring myself out of that. But simultaneously, even when you're in that, like you've just said, there's a sweet spot. I'm. I'm somebody who usually feels in extremes. So like I feel very deeply about everything, no matter what the emotion is, which is what I think is good for me creatively. When you're depressed, you kind of don't really feel, or or like at least my experience of it is that I don't really feel anything. So that for me is like a really weird experience (laughs) to, to have uh, because uh, like my feelings are what fuel my creativity uh, without sounding too much like the you know the the tortured artist i think that you know for people who haven't had someone close to with depression or who people ha- haven't gone through it themselves i think there is this societal view that if you're depressed you're just sad and actually it's not that at all the worst part of depression is actually where you don't feel anything because that you know like the sweet spot for creativity if you if you're in a really low point actually you can use that low to make yourself stronger or you can create something out of it if you're in a point of depression where it's just nothingness where everything's grayscale you can't really feel anything mm-hmm. actually you then almost are beating yourself up more because you're like well I can't do anything with this like I'm just yeah. like a shell like what am I supposed to do with this 
nothingness. Yeah. And, and that is the hardest part of depression is when you actually don't feel anything. And I remember, I mean, I'm not going to go into loads of detail, but our family dog unfortunately died halfway through lockdown. Mm. And it was when I was in a really so bad way. Oh, I know. Well, she's, she's lovely. Um, but it was when I was in a really bad way with depression. And the reason it hit me harder is because I actually couldn't cry. And that really, like, I was upset. And I was like, why am I not more upset by this? But it was because I was in that stage where I just didn't feel anything. And then I cried because I wasn't upset. It was a really, really strange yeah. situation where I was, like, <laughs> really confused that I'm not more upset by this. So then I'm almost getting upset that I'm not upset because yeah. I can't really I should be feeling more upset by this, but I'm not feeling anything. I think it's so important that people do talk about it because there is that sort of view that depression is you're under your covers crying or you're just like crying all the time, like feeling really sad all the time. And it's actually not that at all. I think like, um, I think one of my, um, I totally agree and I totally understand that feeling that you're talking about because, um, but I think that one of my friends described it really, um, oh, we're gonna go full circle in my, uh, in my, uh, my final degree piece um one of my good friends uh, described depression in that when we were talking um as um this really you know this really beautiful relationship she has with herself because she experiences depression um where she's just really grateful for like the fact that she has a body because when you're depressed you you're it's like your person leaves your body and goes for like a walk for a really long time like the inside of your body goes for a walk for a really long time and um you know your body is the only thing that you then have because you're just in it but you're not really in it like your soul is like somewhere else or your mind is somewhere else and it's a really beautiful moment when your mind comes back into your body or your soul comes back into your body and you're a whole person again and you can be like just really grateful for the fact that you have a body that's really hard to think about when you're in in a depressed state yeah. but um from an outside perspective it like it's given me ever since she said that like it's given me a completely different um view on what it is to be depressed and to not be depressed. I've actually just got like shivers thinking about that because that's such a beautiful way to describe it. Um, mm -hmm. but it is like your, your body like your body stays there but the rest of you has just gone for a walk for a bit and you're sort of like okay well me's gone on vacation but I'm yeah. sure she'll be back soon but while she's gone I don't really I'll know. I'll be out of the office between the days of <laughs> yeah. We should do that. If you're depressed, you should have a, sorry, I'll be back in like... Yeah, yeah that, would be, that would be so good. <laughs> I, I don't know where to go from that. That's really like just hit a massive chord with me because that's exactly what it's like. And if you've not gone through it or you've not known anyone who's had it, mm. um, that is exactly what it's like. And when I remember I had a moment where I was angry at my mum and it was like a really psycho moment because I got angry and then I was really happy that I was angry. And I was like, oh my God, I've not felt angry <laughs> before. <laughs> but yeah, that looked, I'm sure from an outside of you, me going from like angry to then just lacking my head off did look a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and also like, I don't know, I don't know how you cope when you're in those moments, but for me, like, I think, thank, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this. You can swear, go for it. I can swear. I'm like, um, thank fuck for my friends, honestly, because, and for my family, like, uh, during lockdown, I, I only, like, I was with my family, obviously, so I had to tell them um, 
what was going on, uh, which was kind of hard, but like also fine, like they're great. But my way of coping with depression is to laugh at it, even though that laugh is kind of hollow because I'm not really feeling anything. <laughs> my way of coping with it is to make jokes about the depression that I'm feeling. Um, so thank fuck for my friends because I was in a dark place and making some very inappropriate jokes, but they were just putting up with it like, yeah, okay. Yeah, this is how we deal with it. So, but it's like a really weird thing, like um, trying to like coax yourself into feeling, I guess that's my way of trying to coax myself into feeling like happy or something um, by just like adding humor into the mix as best I can. I was working in um, in promotion at the time, like I was working uh, in train stations of all places. And so I was like um, with a, a good old friend of mine working and the jokes that I was making, she couldn't, she was like, you need to stop making these jokes because it's just not funny. And I was like, I have to do this. And so you just have to sort of like go along with it. So when you had your two months where you weren't creating, what? Can you remember the moment where you, where you came back from your walk? Yeah, so I, um, I remember it because I remember telling a friend about it because I was... So for me, like, it was kind of tricky because the um, depression it was initiated by, like... Oh, we're going to go into some deep stuff. Um, but <laughs> it was kind of initiated by, like, um, a sense of self-loathing. Um, and so to then create things in that space is tricky because it, I feel like the things I create aren't worthwhile, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so the, the moment that I realized was um, not too long ago, actually, but I started to realize I was getting the energy back to write um, so writing poetry is like something that I do quite a lot and um, I was just out for a walk and I used to walk a lot when I was writing um, because walking for me, I don't know why, something about the rhythm of walking and the rhythm of, of speaking go hand in hand I think in my brain and so when I walk I'm able to create a pace or a beat of some description that I can write a poem to. Um, and actually, it's interesting because I was I was on a walk and I was really just like pissed off, like just really annoyed at the current situation um, in the world in general. And so I started to write or, you know, words started spinning in my head a little bit. And I was thinking, not even thinking about it, but I was writing poetry in my head and then I got my phone out and I started to write it down. And then I sat down and I was like, just in a field. And I was like, oh, it's like happening. I'm like getting it back. It's inconsistent, but I'm getting it back. And so then it would just be like splotches of time where I felt like um, I need to put words to paper and I don't know how, but and I don't know what it is I need to say, but I need to put something to paper. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the moment that I realized that I was voice it had a voice again or like had a had something going on in my brain other than nothingness for a while i just the way you talk about it i think is like thank you for being so open about it because i think for anyone 
going through the same thing. It's so good to just hear other people's versions of it and realise that it is totally normal to have that. And yeah, just the way you're talking about it, it is like almost like a like a flickering light, almost like a it's like a broken circuit in your brain, and like yeah. it sort of starts to come back, and the lights start coming on a bit, but not all the time. And then you're like, aha, there's a moment. And I started writing a instead of writing a to do list, I started writing a to da list. So like stuff that I'd managed to do that I, I can't do things before. So there was a point where actually I was really proud of myself for having a shower. <laughs> like such little things, but I was like, well, there was days when I couldn't do this. So actually, well done me. And it, it's so, I was sort of beating myself up because I was like, what the hell? Like I wouldn't normally be proud of myself for that. But actually you not need to understand that stuff that you can do normally, you just can't do when you're depressed. Like there is an entire bit of your brain that just shuts down um, and you do get back, but you have to, take the little moments of the light being on and yeah. like your words come into paper and you're like aha like I've got a moment like one of my yeah. friends described it as um to think of it like surfing so she's like when the water's low paddle and when it's high ride the waves knowing that another one will come along soon so like just so when it's high you ride the waves and if it's pad low you just paddle and mm. knowing that there'll be another good moment at some point which I think yeah. is a really nice way to think about it because when you're in those, you start coming back to yourself. Um, you're like, oh yeah, no, it's not forever. Mm. <laughs> it's not always been like this. I have, I do have a brain that works. It's just yeah. on, on vacation for a bit. Um, so with you, into, like with your poetry, do uh-huh. you um, prefer writing it or speaking it out loud? What connects more with you? Um, Speaking it connects more with me because the thing that I like about spoken word poetry is the um, rhythm, the rhythmicness, rhythmicness, rhythmic nature of it. Like I I enjoy that the most when I'm listening to poetry and also for me like I'm a very like audio visual human Um, and so I like Reading it, I find it difficult to read it because I'm not really a natural born performer. Um, so that for me is quite nerve wracking. But um, I have also recently discovered that actually written poetry and the creativity that you can delve into with written poetry and layout and text and font, etc., etc., um, is also kind of exciting to me, which is something that I never thought. I would be excited by. Um, I guess I kind of have a little bit of like, ah, all, all the time, like the, the little like middle finger up to the system in terms of I don't want to have to write in a very specific structured manner for it to be a poem. And I kind of struggled with that for a long time. Um, but actually poetry doesn't have to, to follow rules, which I kind of like about it. Um, uh, so I think, for me more naturally is reading it and the voice side of it Um, and then more unnaturally but also I find really interesting the um, written side of things. Oh I studied a TEFL um, during lockdown so um, that's like... I studied a TEFL during lockdown. Did you? (laughs) That's so so funny that is so good. 
So like, you know, the grammar part of the TEFL. Mm -hmm. So TEFL, for anyone who's listening that doesn't know what that is, is teaching English as a foreign language. It's a course that you can do online. Um, but um, there's a grammar, a whole grammar section, right? Yeah, and so um, I, the only part, part that I like truly enjoyed about that was um, realizing that, you know, uh, English language has a very certain structure that we follow that we don't even realize we're following. Um, and so that kind of piqued my interest in terms of writing because I found ways to take the structure and dismantle it and sort of um, play with that idea. So I found that interesting. But apart from that, I don't really like the writing process. Yeah, I think that's so funny that you said about TEFL just because I, English, when you actually look into it, once you start studying it properly, you realise how much of a weird language it is in terms of the structure. And one of my housemates is German, and I sort of said to her that I was doing it. Mm. I was like, I speak English as my native language, and I'm confused. I was like, yeah. I don't know how you guys learn this. I was like, it's not until you start really looking into detail, you realise how many of our patterns of like grammar and stuff don't match up or it is so structured yeah. it's so different to the structures of other languages like we're one of the only ones that don't have gendered terms yeah um, good i think because um apparently the french word for the vagina is le vagine which is le is masculine which i just think that's so wrong why is this <laughs> masculine i quite like it i think that's quite funny it's like a juxtaposition isn't it it's like yeah it's so the, the, vagina, the word for vagina is a masculine term in french which is really strange but <laughs> there we go so switching back from vaginas from to vaginas poetry. although you know i'm a big fan but <laughs> <laughs> so for someone who i only really know one poet well i know you obviously mm -hmm. but then i only know one other poet which is rupee court like a famous um, poet I, yeah like a famous poet. You're a famous poet. You will be. Oh my goodness, stop. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, Rupi Kaur is like a, an interesting topic. I think there's quite a lot of like, in terms of the poetry, I was about to say the poetry world, but I don't know anything about the poetry world really, I don't think. But um, I think it's an interesting debate, the Rupi Kaur one. I've heard a lot of like um, contrasting views on Rupi Kaur because um, because of the style of poetry um there's there's sort of this throw around terminology maybe of like coffee table poetry um which is like easily digestible poetry which like i personally love because i think since rupee poor brought out milk and honey um the poetry landscape's blown wide open a little bit um it's it's drawn attention to poetry in a way that I don't think it had been done before and made it accessible, which I think is really beautiful. Uh, because I think before that, poetry had this feeling of elitism in a lot of in a, in the same way that um, arts has. I think it was quite antiquated as well like there was almost the view of 
when you say poetry, I would think of like my English lessons at school and I was studying yeah. like, really old poems. And Rupi Kaur, you know, lover or hater, she has brought poetry into the modern world and she's brought it to the younger generation because she does it on Instagram. And there's another poet, and I can't remember his name, but he does ones on Instagram and his are all about romance and love and they're very short poems and they're quite yeah. snappy, the as Rupi Kaur's poems. Um, but it's definitely, switched the world beyond it, it's brought it back into this century same as you say with art like I think there's a lot of artists like um Florence Gibbon I personally love her um, yeah. as an artist. Sophie T like they've done really well on like they've used social media in a really positive way to sort of modernize the art world or the poetry world and take that elitist view away from it and be like actually anyone can make art like it's not and anyone can buy art and anyone can be involved in poetry it's not just for um the mansions with the horses and stables yeah, exactly. it's for anyone yeah. um i personally really like her and some when you say like the coffee table poetry thing i think i get where that's coming from but it's also yeah i think i think that it's i think that that in itself comes from an elitist um yeah. stereotype I think you know poetry should be accessible and it should be something that's available to everyone and in a way like there's such a crossover between in my mind between music and poetry anyway um that I think that you it shouldn't be elitist because music isn't you know like it, it should be accessible in the same way that music is and now because of Spotify um and streaming services like Spotify you can get hold of spoken word poetry a lot easier um for example on spotify there's button poetry which is just like a collective of poet of poetry of spoken word poetry um i did not know you could get poetry on spotify yeah it's really good it's like um because a lot of poets um spoken word poets pair music with their poetry or they have like a small sound back a background noise um some don't but um it makes it really lovely to listen to um for me, like, I guess my like top inspirations uh, or the, th the people who sort of open the door to me in poetry. Um, and this, this, this is all stuff that I, I came into the knowledge of in the past few years um, through um, one of my uh, ex-partners was that um, Kate Tempest, um, who is, uh, like a, a spoken word poet who pairs music with um, her poetry. Um, she's performed at like Glastonbury um, and like all different, she's like really world famous. Um, and I love the stuff that she writes. There's one, um, I was gonna say album, but it's not, it's a book, a poetry <laughs> book um, in particular called Let Them Eat Chaos. Uh, which I really love uh, to listen to if I ever get into like a rut um, and it's about it, she sort of paired like um, poetry and music and performance together to create it which I think is really lovely um, so definitely listen to that if you haven't and that's on Spotify you can just, like listen to the whole of the book on Spotify I feel like you've opened up a whole new world for me because I yeah no I'm, I'm glad because it's really good oh, yeah I'm gonna fall into a dark poetry hole yeah <laughs> the best kind Andrea Gibson's another one um, she's a queer poet who um, there's one she wrote in particular which 
was really beautiful and I can't remember the name of it but um, it was about the um, shooting in Orlando, in Orlando in the gay club. Um, Olivia Gatwood is another one um, who you would really like. She writes um, a lot of like feminist based poetry um, and she also does TED talks and lectures and things like that. Um, super, super smart lady. Yeah, Andrew Gibson's one is actually just called Orlando, um, the one about the Pulse nightclub shooting, um, and that's really beautiful. And she does a lot of love poetry, which I, you know, fulfills a small, like, gooey gummy bear in my heart. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm going to look into these. This is going to be the next, like, week. I'm just going to be listening to spoken word poetry. You have to tell me, like, your oh, thoughts on it all. Okay, I'll be like, actually, it's a rubbish recommendation. <laughs> I'll be like, oh, no. But yeah, I think those are the main ones that I've listened to, as well as button poetry in general. Button poetry is great um, on YouTube and on Spotify because it's just people of all, like all different backgrounds, etc., um, that perform poetry, which is amazing. Um, so yeah. got one last question. Um, and this is what I ask everyone, um, because the answers I think are really interesting for everyone. So the question is, if you could give any advice to your 15 year old self, what advice would you give? Oh God. Um, Wow, if I could give an advice to my 15 year old self, what would I give? Don't take, no, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> um, no, uh, what would I give? Oh, just, I would say, uh, I've probably had quite a lot of things, but I think the main one is to believe in yourself more. I think, or trust yourself more, I think is maybe. Um, a good one for me. Um, trust your gut instinct um, and listen to it, like act on the gut instinct um, rather than not acting on the gut instinct and just like soldiering through. Um, and also I would tell myself that I am smart, that I am intelligent, that I can do things with my mind, you know, and to just not doubt that I'm a good human, <laughs> I think would be. I was trying to think what I was like at 15. I think I was pretty much the same. Do you? More drunk and... Oh my goodness. I... Yeah, anyone who meets me now, I don't think shy is ever a word they would use. No, I don't think I'd be shy. It's not in my vocabulary, but I was. I was, I was shy at 15. And I think I, when you're of that age, you, when you're saying trust yourself, I think that's a really good one because you're so used to listen to like your parents opinions or your friends opinions or like, this is what the world should look like this is the path you should follow yeah. it's really hard to actually listen to yourself over the top of all of that and I think I wish I'd listened to myself a bit more um and I think it's definitely better now it, for the generations coming through because there is so many people who've fought, who've broken the rules and gone down different paths it's like oh well other people have done it I can do it whereas I think in our when we were in school, it was very much a, you go to school, you get a degree, like you, you go and get a like, real job. And, and so I was like, well, like, apart I'm going to do an art degree. Um, yeah. <laughs> you guys. Um, and that was my like rebellion because the, they wanted me to do like something that was more academic. Um, but yeah, I think saying trust yourself is a really, really good one. I think saying like you, know that you're intelligent as well because it's really easy to believe what other people are telling you about 
yourself rather than yeah. what you know about yourself and it's when you're at that age you care a lot I think what everyone thinks and actually trying to blend in doesn't do any good because no one is the same everyone's yeah. completely different and why would you want to blend in yeah and also like for me personally like as a queer woman I think it you know trusting yourself comes into that a lot for me um I would be like you know stop trying to date boys because you're like clearly not into it uh, <laughs> but, but um but yeah, the, the trust in yourself is such a huge part of your journey. I think everyone's journey as a human, because you have to make your own way. You have to, you have to make your own path. Like you have to listen to the voice that's inside you rather than the voices that are around you because otherwise you're just a product of everyone else. And that's not fun. <laughs> like, that's not, that's not true either is it so it's better to live an imperfect version of your life than a perfect version of someone else's life and yeah, I think that's something that. that you have yeah I that really stuck with me because I was like that's so true how many times do you see yourself comparing to other people or being like oh well they're doing that so I'll do that like no that's their life they're doing it great do your life great yeah so yeah thank you so much for coming on no um a fantastic episode I'm thank really you so much for having me yeah. my instagram handle is at rebecca hughes arts that's rebecca with a k-a-h because i'm that bitch i also do have a poetry um youtube which is bex.hughes.poetry where i post videos of poetry um that i write and then make videos for thank you so much i think um i think what you're doing is amazing and i think the podcast is great so thank you very much for having me thanks for joining me for another episode of not your babe if you don't already give me a follow on instagram at not your babe podcast we'll be releasing new videos every wednesday so until next time stay sassy